Thank you, friends. It's great to be here. This feels like a new beginning. Do you feel that? It's a new beginning. God's doing a new thing. This is a new season we're moving into now. Are you ready? Are you ready for all that's coming? Marjorie and I are living into a new season, and uh, we have transitioned out of a leadership role that we were in for 17 years with a mission organization called Multiply, and uh, we were led by the Lord to start a ministry last summer. We've been producing, we're sending out a morning uh, devotional uh, to thousands of people for the last many years called Listening to the Word. And so we just felt the Lord saying, just lean into that. So we, uh, we've, we've done that and, uh, and we've uh, just committed in this next season to traveling, ministering together, and equipping leaders wherever God opens the door um, around the world. And so that has been an incredible privilege. We're a couple of months into that new season, and God is going before us in amazing, amazing ways. As Andrew said, we just spent a few months in East Africa. We were last there at a significant level 25 years ago on a sabbatical. We brought our young family there. One of the communities we went into was the Maasai. I don't know if you know anything about the Maasai, but they're, they wear, uh, you know, a lot of red clothing. And when they go into battle, they wear red paint. They fight lions. The Maasai are uh, some of my favorite people. So 25 years ago, there was less than 2% Christian. In the community that we went into, there was 80% alcoholism. Like, I'm talking about non-functioning, completely alcoholic, mostly men. They were moving from being nomadic to being pastoralists. They had lost their identity. They weren't sure who they were. It was a major, major uh, test they were going through. And, and plus, they didn't have the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. They were just wandering, struggling. And uh, there was just such despair. So we sent a team that next summer and of uh, young adults, four from Canada, four from the Maasai, four Christian young people from Daystar University in Nairobi, and they lived in the community and they just ministered to people, loved the community. Within a couple of months, the community asked for a long-term worker to help them with agricultural stuff. That guy helped plant a church. That church grew. Uh, bottom line is, today, 25 years later, over one million Maasai have come to know Jesus. Over one million, just in Kenya. They are now, this people group is now 80% Christian. So you gotta know, when we went into that community, we were just in shock. We were in shock. They had a community gathering. They've been going through COVID. They all lost their jobs in the safari lodges. No tourists were coming. Uh, they were facing hardship, as in, we can't feed our family. Friends from Canada helped, and there was um, a feeding program that was started for 18 months. 28,000 people were fed all over that region. And uh, they came together when we were there for a Thanksgiving celebration. 3,000 people from all over Kenya, all Maasai from Tanzania came together 
to say thank you. Now they're 80% Christian. This wasn't a Christian gathering, this was a civic gathering. There was a college graduation in the morning. A, a guy preached at the college graduation. Eight hour all day celebration, delegations of 50 and 100 people came with gift giving, honoring, protocol, bringing goats, bringing blankets, bringing all kinds of things, just saying thank you. Two evangelists spoke. The word of God was so clear. There was worship. It was, it was like I was in the most incredible revival meeting ever. And it wasn't church. It was just community. Two leaders from Canada were there who had marshaled the help of many people to feed these guys. Cultural leaders. The woman is the president of the largest publishing firm in Canada. The man, Jewish community leader, he's been a part of cultural and community transformation strategies all over Canada. He negotiated the largest land settlement treaty in northern BC. These are cultural leaders in Canada. They don't know Jesus. They've been invested in that community and in community transformation strategies at an economic and community development level, okay? They're from Toronto. That day, these Maasai totally ministered to them. They heard the gospel again and again and again. They called them forward. They had prophetic people there laying hands on them, speaking the word of the Lord. Bishops were pre pro proclaiming the word of the Lord on them. Leaders in Canada who would never hear the gospel in this country for whatever reason are being ministered to by brand new Christ followers, Maasai in Kenya. Isn't that incredible? That's what God's doing today. That's what God's doing today. Folks in the global south who are experiencing revival and harvest spiritual awakening are ministering the gospel right back here to the leaders of North America. That's happening today. Are you ready? Out of testing, God not only refines our character, but he brings forth life. He brings forth life. Beginning of this year, we were in, uh, you know, all the churches were praying and fasting. It's normal to go into weeks of fasting and prayer, corporate prayer. There is such an intensity around seeking the presence of God. I was refreshed in Africa. Reminded me of a church service that I went to a while back in Nairobi. I was invited to speak at a church. It was a church that met in a large circus tent while they were building their sanctuary and uh, they had many services. As I walked into the after, I think I was preaching at the four o'clock service or something. I mean, they were going every two hours from eight in the morning until six at night, just going right through. And the tent was full of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. So as I walked in, people were exiting, others were coming in, and I just immediately felt the presence of the Lord. You felt his presence this morning here? He's here. The presence of the Lord is here. Walked into the front, and I was just like, oh, 
whoa, whoa, this is, un- this is an incredibly powerful uh, just demonstration of like God's here. This is the presence of the Lord. And I sat down and I began to, I was just getting a little emotional. The worship started and I started crying. I'm like, Lord, what is going on here? This is just like your glory is just resting on this place. Wow. I was asked to speak. You stand up and speak and it's just so wide open, so free. You can say whatever the Holy Spirit gives you to say. People are responding to the Holy Spirit. After the service, just people are getting touched by God. It was just, you're in a free zone. You know how exciting, how just life-giving it is to be in a space like that? We're touching that here. We're touching that here. After the service, I went to the pastor, one of the evangelists. I said, hey, what, what, what is this? How is this happening? He said, did you come here tomorrow morning? Come here at 5 a.m. tomorrow morning. I said, what, what, what's happening here at 5 a.m.? He said, this, this place will be full of people. What? People came in here for several hours every morning to seek the face of God. What? You should come here on a Friday night. We pray all night long. How bad do you want the presence of the Lord. Our most valuable gift that we carry is the presence of the Lord. If you steward God's presence, you impart his presence wherever you go. His presence is life. His presence is healing. His presence is freeing. His presence is wisdom, counsel, direction. It's peace. How bad do you want to grow in the presence of God? So my prayer this morning is that you would have an increased hunger, thirst for the presence of God in your life. Not just corporately, but personally. And as, uh, as Brenda said earlier, you know, it's, it's an expression corporately of what we bring personally. We've all got to invite God personally if we're going to corporately experience him at another level. And so I just believe that that's the Lord's invitation for us. I want to give you a number of rhythms this morning, five rhythms, which I think will help you if you want to practically step into this. You want to say, yeah, Randy, I'm up for that. I want to grow in the presence of the Lord. I want to grow in my experience of his presence. When I'm at work, at school, in my home, I'm up for that. How do I actually make that? How does that happen? How does that happen? Five rhythms. Are you with me? Five rhythms. Number one, and they're based on first fruits. They're based on giving God your best. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Rhythm number one, first hour. Are you with me? First hour. Give God 
your first hour. Jesus modeled that. My experience has been that God, if we commit the first minutes of the day, you say, I can't give an hour. I've got stuff to do. Give God what you can. Start with what you can, and he will grow it. First hour. My practice is to get on my knees beside my bed, humble myself before the Lord when I start the day, just surrender my life to him, my body, my mind, my thoughts. Ask him to fill me with his spirit, renounce any uh, temptations, any issues of the flesh, anything that the enemy would want to use to distract me. Ask again the Lord, fill me with your spirit, put on the armor of God, and then I make a good cup of coffee and I sit down with my Bible and a notebook. So you will need a Bible. You're going to need a notebook. You're going to need a quiet place. I like to go through the Bible systematically. So if you want a resource and you don't have one, join us. Join us and thousands of leaders around the world in listening to the word every morning. You'll go through the Bible systematically, Old Testament, New Testament, and uh, you can sign up. There's a page there. If you can go to that, just uh, listeningtotheword.com. You'll get the daily readings, and you'll be able to get a little devotional thought of what I've heard from the Lord that morning. And what I am sharing with you, I read and got from the Lord a couple of years ago. So I'm, I've got years and years of these morning devotionals that I've been writing, and God's been... Uh, just so incredibly faithful. We were in Nairobi there for a couple of months and just ministering in the region. And I would have, uh, in the quiet of the morning, sometimes traffic going by. The president's offices and the whole presidential complex was just down the road. And a number of mornings, uh, the presidential convoy goes by about 7.30, quarter to eight in the morning. And I just thought about it. I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to have a conversation with the president? And the Lord said, you're talking to the king of kings. I said, you're right. I am. I am. You want access to the most powerful being in the universe? Take some time with him every morning. He is very interested in meeting with you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to give you insight into your own life. And as you read the word of God, the word of God will read you. The Holy Spirit will speak to you about application that you need for your own life. And I know uh, Andrew is teaching you to do that in this church and uh, you're, you're working at this, but I wanna just encourage you, keep creating space every morning to hear from God. Jesus said this, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the spirit also does. John 5, 19. So Jesus was listening to the father, not because it's a good day, to, you know, it's a good way to start the day, you know, have a little quiet time. He was listening to the father because that's the only way he could accomplish the father's will that day. He needed to hear what the Father had to say. He needed to know what the Father's instruction, counsel, and direction was for him that day. And I do too. 
I need to hear from the Father every morning so that I can step into the Father's will that day. I need to hear from my boss. And so do you. And so we need that, that first hour, first half hour, whatever you can give, create space for God to speak to you. You know, I was in one of these morning quiet times, and I was in uh, Revelation 14. And there's a passage there I've, I've preached on, because it's, it's a missions text, and I just, I love it. It's, it's, a, it's a picture of the end time harvest. And there's an angel that comes out of the temple, and the Lord of the harvest, with a crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand, is sitting on a cloud. And the angel announces, the earth is ripe. And the Lord of the harvest swings his sickle and the earth is harvested. A couple of verses, Revelations 14. So I just read it like I've, like I know this text really well. I just read it through and, and just keep going. And the Holy Spirit says, stop, go back. So I stop. When I'm reading, I'm reading interactively with the Holy Spirit. Listening to the word is different than reading the word. Okay, are you with me? Listening to the word is different than reading the word. You're in an interactive experience with the Holy Spirit who inspired the word and now is going to apply that word to your life. So he says, wait, go back. And he asks me a question. And what he often says to me is he says, are you listening? Are you listening? And I come to attention in my spirit, like I come to attention. Yes, I'm listening. He asked me this question, why am I sitting on a white cloud? I have no idea. I have no idea. He said, because I'm at rest. Everything required for anyone to have a relationship with the Father has been accomplished. It's a finished work. I'm at rest. Okay, you're, at this, you're in the seated position, I understand. He said, what's in my hand? I said, it's a sickle. What's my, what's my job? I said, your job is to harvest. He said, that's right. What's your job? I said, whatever you tell me to do. Your job is to plant, to water. Your job is to give testimony to my work in your life. You do your job, I'll do my job. Got it. Where are you? I said, I'm in my office. He said, no, you're not. Right now, you are seated with me in heavenly places. You are on this cloud with me, and if I'm at rest, I'm inviting you to be at rest. You are in me. Are you hearing me? In Christ, at rest, on mission. Can you say that with me? In Christ, at rest, on mission. When you create space for the Holy Spirit to speak to you, there is revelation. There is revelation that you need and I need, and that revelation will transform our lives. First hour. Second, first day, first day of the week, Sabbath. 
On the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So seventh day was a gift that God gave. It was a day that he commanded his people to rest. And it's one of the 10 commandments. And Jesus referred to it. He was known as the Lord of the, of the Sabbath. And he had authority over how to practice the Sabbath. And he brought freedom to people who were actually living under the yoke of the Sabbath rather than receiving the gift of the Sabbath. Now the church practices resurrection Sunday. We practice the first day of the week, not the last day. And so we, uh, we believe that, again, Jesus is Lord of the, of, the, of, of the Sabbath. But we take this day as a day of rest, a day of rest, a day of rest oration, a day of not just creation, a day of recreation, a day of being renewed and restored. Now, I, want, I have a confession to make here. As a mission worker, uh, this is the commandment that I have broken more than any of the other commandments. Okay? And I'm very sad about that. I've broken this commandment many, many times. I work on Sundays often, and then I do ministry work the rest of the week, and I miss a Sabbath. And I get the first hour, and you think, well, I'm doing the Lord's work, and so I can somehow get away with this. But I want you to know you can't get away with this. You get tired. People in ministry are in battle, and we burn out, and we get exhausted, and then we're no good to the Lord or anyone else. And then you do take your Sabbath, but you're sick, so you take them all in a row, or you're burned out and you take them all in a row, and that's not fun. That's not fun. One of the biggest weapons that we carry is rest. Are you hearing me? What rest is a weapon. Rest enables us to respond in the test, not react. Rest strengthens us for whatever God's got in front of us. Rest is God's gift to us, and he invites us to take it. I remember once, after a very intense trip, after trip, after trip, after trip, ministry trips, internationally, domestically, I was exhausted, and I got vertigo. I don't know if you've ever had vertigo. I'm telling you, it was a knockout. I've had knee surgeries. I've had bad things. This was the worst thing I've ever had. Completely debilitating, flat on your back, can't even open your eyes. Disoriented, nauseous, dizzy. You're in a darkened room, eyes closed, flat on your back. The only thing I can do is talk to the Lord. And he's like, have I got your attention now? <laughs> yep, you do. You have my full and undivided attention. First day, give God a Sabbath and he will restore and refresh. You say, well, what do I do on a Sabbath? What does that mean? 
I believe God wants to rest with us. Genesis 2.15 says that God rested Adam with him in the garden. The word is nuach, and the word placed, God placed Adam in the garden. That word is more than just place. It means to rest. So God says, I want to rest with you in this place. And I want you to live with me in this place in a state of rest. Interesting picture, right? God says, I want to rest with you. And that's why Hebrews 4 says God has got a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And anyone who enters God's rest, and it's a state of being, not a day. Anyone who enters God's rest rests from their own labor. It's a choice. Either you work on your own, or you enter God's rest, and like Jesus, you live in surrender to the Father's will, and you, you do what he invites you to do. You don't ask him to bless what you're doing. You say, Father, what are you doing? How can I join you? And you nuach, you rest with God. This is a different way of ministering. This is a different way of living. Sabbath invites us into a rhythm of rest with our Father. And uh, it's life-giving. It's life-giving. First hour, first day, first Friday. Now, I understand you guys do some fasting here in this church on our monthly rhythm. I love that. I just heard that in this testimony earlier. So that's so cool. That rhythm is life-giving. And uh, what is fasting accomplished? What's the purpose of fasting? You've probably heard about it. Some of you might practice it. Others of you are saying, what does that do? Fasting has gotten pretty uh, popular these days, hasn't it? I mean, there's periodic fasting. There's intermittent fasting. There's different kinds of fasting. People are fasting just for health reasons today. It's a big thing. It's a big thing. Fasting unto the Lord is something different, though. Fasting unto the Lord is something different. This isn't to control your calories. This is to actually strengthen your spirit. Are you hearing me? Strengthen your spirit. Now, when you go to the gym, you do resistance training. You break muscles down before you rebuild them, right? You pay a price. It burns. It hurts. And it's supposed to hurt. And you're supposed to feel sore and stiff the next day because you know you're doing something to actually increase your strength. Fasting is the same thing. Fasting, you are strengthening your spiritual muscle and you are surrendering and subjecting your will to the will of God. And instead of listening to your body tell you what to do, eat, and all the other desires that you carry, you invert the order, body, soul, and spirit. You invert the order. It's now spirit, soul, and body. And you listen to the spirit. And you heighten your, your uh, capacity to listen and respond to the Holy Spirit. Jesus leaves the Jordan. Incredible revival meetings with his cousin John. People are getting water baptized. Repentance is touching thousands of people. He's at the meetings. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit. 
The Spirit of God descends on him like a dove. The Father speaks to him audibly and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. I mean, he's on a spiritual high. And then the Spirit leads him into the wilderness and he fasts for 40 days. And it's the Holy Spirit that leads him into fasting. And the enemy comes to him and says, if you're the son of God, questions his identity. And he always wants to do that, by the way. The enemy is always questioning your identity. Who are you? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And you gotta know who you are. As a son, as a daughter of your heavenly father, Turn, if you are who you think you are, turn this stone into bread. And what does Jesus say? No, man doesn't live by bread alone. And the rest of that verse says, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, the Father's voice, his word in my heart every day is life. It's feeding me. And yeah, I'm here in the wilderness, and yeah, I'm fasting, but I'm getting stronger, not weaker. I'm getting stronger, not weaker. I'm listening, and I'm obeying, I'm submitting, and I know who I am, and I know the truth of God's word, and I'm getting stronger. The enemy comes against him, and he tests him. And the Father allows the test. And tests are not meant to destroy you, they're meant to promote you. Are you hearing me? We're going through a massive test right now. A massive test. It's at a global level. And you can feel it, can't you? It's one test after another test after another test. Is this meant to break us? No. It's meant to promote us. But what the Father wants to know is what's coming out of your heart. What's coming out of your life? Are you getting angry? Is your fist up? Are you shaking your fist at anyone who will listen? Or are you growing in humility and in grace and in knowledge, relationship and intimacy with your Father? Are you becoming more like Jesus? Or are you becoming more like the world? Tests are meant to promote you, not destroy you. But it, mat it matters how you come through the test. I was just in the worship here and the Lord is just talking to me about tests. And I think there's a word for us here from Exodus. From Exodus chapter, Exodus chapter 15. Israel's in the desert. Jesus was in the desert. They were being tested. They're traveling through the desert and they're grumbling because there's no water. They come to this place called Mara. It's bitter water and they're grumbling. And uh, Moses is instructed to put a piece of wood in the water, and the water becomes fit to drink. Exodus 15. Then the Lord, verse 25, then the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. God put them to the test. This is not the enemy, this is God. All the plagues of Egypt weren't the enemy, they were God. The book of Revelation is not the enemy, it's God. Are you hearing me? We are going through tests, and God is in it. Don't pray to get out of the test. Pray to get through the test. Then the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if 
you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians for I am the Lord who heals you. I am the Lord who heals you. I am Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm springs, or 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. I believe the question the Lord would ask you is, do you want to stay in Mara, in a place of grumbling and bitterness, or do you want to move to Elam, which is a place of strong trees? Elam means strong trees. You're in the wilderness. We are all in the wilderness. We're on a journey. Do you want to stay in grumbling and bitterness, or do you want to move to Elam and a place of refreshment, healing, and strong trees? That's a question. That's a question. That's a question. If, if, if you're willing to listen in the wilderness, if you're willing to submit and listen to your father, if you're willing to listen and obey, you can be in forward motion, pass the test, and move to the next place. If you say, no, I hate this food, I hate this water, I hate this place. I hate a lot of things. You stay in that place, you're stuck in the wilderness. The Lord's giving you a question today. Where do you want to live? Mara? Remember Naomi? Ruth, Naomi, remember that story? Living in Moab, Naomi took her husband and her two boys in a test, in a famine, took them to Moab, find food, found some new daughters-in-law, boys got married, then all the boys died, husband died, just two daughters-in-law. Naomi goes back to Israel, hears that God is, you know, giving them water and there's, there's a harvest, so she goes back but one of the daughters-in-law stays, Ruth goes with her, and as she comes back into Bethlehem, a place of bread, it's the, it's the barley harvest that's just starting, and the people look at her and they go, aren't you, aren't you Naomi? She says, no, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Call me Mara. I might be here in Bethlehem, but in my heart, I'm still in a place of bitterness. I'm still parked in Mara. Where are you living, Mara or Elam? We're going through a test. In BC, where we live, we had uh, record-breaking heat last summer. It was like 50 degrees in BC, crazy, 50 degrees. This fall, we had record-breaking floods, flooded out all kinds of you know, homes and killed lots of livestock and uh, just brought tremendous pain to a lot of people. Record-breaking floods. Obviously, we've been in this whole pandemic. One thing after the other. Are we living in Mara or Elam? We get to choose. I don't think the tests stop. I think we either move forward and are promoted or we're stuck. And I just want to call you to keep in forward motion because we serve a God of healing we serve a God of restoration. We serve a God of blessing. And he wants us to live with him in that place. First hour, 
in his presence, listening, obeying, and then walking through the day, listening to the Holy Spirit. First day, Sabbath. Live, minister out of rest. First Friday, take a day, prayer and fasting. Humble yourself before the Lord and allow him to uh, expose things in your heart. Fasting exposes stuff. You wanna take on lusts in your life? You wanna take on addictions? Begin intentionally fasting and stuff will surface. You wanna get serious about the presence of God in your life? Start fasting. Start fasting and stuff will come to the surface and then you've got the opportunity to deal with it. Fasting breaks the yoke of the enemy as well as positions us in humility before the Lord and our spirits get stronger. Fasting, first Friday. First fruits, first hour, first day, first Friday, first fruits. Honor God with your tithes, offerings. On the first day of the week, Paul writes the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. First fruits. Give God generously from what he's given you. Now, what does that mean? How does that in any way affect the presence of God in your life? It's a direct statement to the Lord, I'm honoring you with everything I've got. It's all yours. I'm saying thank you. Thank you for your provision. Everything I've got, health, strength, all my physical capacities, all, my res all the resources you've entrusted to me, it all comes from you. I'm a steward, and I want to signify that by offerings, tithes and offerings. It's powerful. The alternative is coming under the influence and control of other spiritual powers, including greed. And I'm telling you, that stuff will squeeze the life out of you. Greed will always cost you, uh, and it will take from you as opposed to give you. You know, I was meditating on this, and uh, the Lord just brought back to mind the story of Cornelius. You know Cornelius? Cornelius was an Italian officer in the Roman army. He was stationed in Caesarea. And one day, an angel appears to him in an open vision. Can you imagine that? An open vision. And the angel says to him, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up before the Lord as a memorial offering. Whoa! And because of that, I've been sent. And I want you to call for a man named Simon. He's staying with Simon the Tanner in a place called Joppa. I want you to call him. He's got something to say to you. Simon Peter shows up a day or two later. You know what happened. The Holy Spirit's poured out on Cornelius and all of his family and friends. Talk about the presence of God. Totally anointed by the presence of God, filled with the Holy Spirit. They enter the, he becomes the gateway through, through which the Gentiles enter the church. Why? Because your prayers and your gifts have come up as a memorial to the Lord. 
The Lord looks and noticed, look at that guy, Cornelius. Who's going to be the gateway through whom the gospel goes to the Gentiles? Let's, let's visit Cornelius. You walk in generosity, in generosity towards the Lord, you catch his attention. Are you hearing me? You want to catch God's attention? Be generous. Your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before the Lord. Be generous. You will never outgive God. You will never outgive God. He is the most generous being in the universe. He is an incredibly generous Father. Your tithes and your offerings are unto the Lord. You can break the back of poverty and also greed in your life by being generous. Be generous. First hour, first day, first Friday, first fruits, and first friends. First friends. Now what does that mean? Acts chapter 2, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke, broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. These folks are meeting in homes and they're meeting in the temple courts. There's, broad, there's large gatherings for worship like this. There's small gatherings in homes. And it's, the church is a community that's living in the presence of the Lord on mission together. And they've got friendships that go outside of these worship gatherings. You know what I'm saying? They're actually pursuing God with their friends. And they're opening their lives to each other. And they're bringing God into their meals. And they're enjoying the presence of the Lord. First friends. I know that you guys are fighting against the prevailing trend, which is spectator worship spectator performance religion. You're fighting that. You're contending for what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a disciple-making movement, which is our call in Matthew 28. This church is a disciple-making church. This church is living on mission. They're equipping people to live on mission where you are. To do that, we need to have intimate friendships not just crowds of people that we come to worship with once a week. We need one, two people. When you're stumbling, does anybody know? When you go through a spiritual high, is anybody with you? Do you share that with anybody? When you go through a low, is anybody there? Jesus had... His 12, he had 70, he had 12, but he had Peter, James, and John. He took them on the Mount of Transfiguration. At his highest high, he had his three closest buddies there, and they shared it with him. They didn't know what to do, but they shared it with him, <laughs> right? At his lowest low, he says, you three guys, come with me. In the valley of suffering, in Gethsemane, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he got his three closest guys. He said, come on, come with me. I want you to share this. And they all fell asleep. But they were there. <laughs> when you have your highest highs and your lowest lows, is anybody with you? Or are you trying to do it alone? 
You were not made to do it alone. When Jonathan came into the wilderness to find David, his buddy who was on the run from his own crazy father-in-law, Jonathan helped him find strength in God. And that's what first friends do. Are you with me? Get a couple of buddies, have breakfast once a month and just say, this is not a Bible study, this is a life process time. We're gonna share our lives. We're just gonna talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we're gonna be gut level honest. And we're gonna be real. We're gonna share our lives, what God's saying to us, what he's teaching us. We're gonna pray for each other. That's what's happening here. First friends, are you with me on this? First friends, first hour, first day, first Friday, first fruits, and first friends. You wanna cultivate the presence of the Lord in your life? Begin rhythms, practices, daily, weekly, monthly, consistent, year after year after year, and you will grow in the presence of the Lord. You want this? You ready to pay a price for this? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father, that you invite us to walk with you. We're so humbled by that invitation that you would choose to draw near to us, that you would extend to us your Holy Spirit, that you would fill us with your presence, you would call us sons and daughters, and that you would say, you love us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, we were created to know you. We were created to experience your life. We were created to, to share that life with our families and the community around us. And Father, we, we don't know where else to go. We don't have another option. We haven't found life in any other place. So we're here to meet you, Father. We want to grow in our, our experience of your presence, Father. Of your presence. Thank you, Father.